Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Han Dan and Son Mian. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. All right, uh, we're going to start things off here. We did expect this to happen uh, today on this Monday. Uh, March 13th kicked off a major uh, joint military exercise between South Korea and the United States in the uh, Freedom Shield exercise. We knew North Korea was going to respond with a slew of provocation while this joint military exercise is taking place. Well, to kick things off, North Korea having fired two cruise missiles, uh, this from a submarine in the waters off its east coast over the weekend. This is, of course, uh, an apparent protest against this uh, Freedom Shield exercise that kicked off today. Uh, it does also mark the first time the North launched cruise missiles uh, from a submarine as well. Tan, you're going to start us off. What details do you have for us? Sure. As widely expected, tensions are once again heightening on the Korean Peninsula with the start of the South Korea-U.S. joint drills dubbed the Freedom Shield. And North Korea was added again, this time by conducting a launch of its first known cruise missiles uh, from a submarine. The North state run Korean Central News Agency said the missiles were fired from the August 24th Yongung or 824 Yongung submarine in waters off Gyeongpo Bay in the East Sea in an underwater launching drill. It says the missiles precisely hit preset targets in the East Sea after traveling uh, some 1,500 kilometers for over 7,500 seconds, which is approximately two hours and six minutes. The 824 Yongung is a 2,000-ton level submarine that was used to launch North Korea's first submarine-launched ballistic missile, the Pukguksung-1, in 2016. North Korea claimed the launch was successful, but the South Korean military as well as experts, they remain skeptical. Uh, Pyongyang assessed that Sunday's launch confirmed the reliability of the state's weapon system and examined uh, the underwater-to-surface offensive operations of submarine units that constitute one of uh, the major forces of its nuclear deterrent. It added that the underwater launching drill verified the current operation posture of the nuclear war deterrent means in different spaces. And Pyongyang, of course, it didn't miss the chance to lash out at Seoul and Washington, saying that the submarine launch confirmed the North Korean military's formidable power to control and manage the current state of regional affairs in which, quote-unquote, imperialistic U.S. and South Korean puppets are ramping up destabilizing military actions. It added the North Central Military Committee of the Workers' Party was highly satisfied with a successful launch. Again, one of the trends that we are seeing right now from the North is that they are launching it from submarines, right? It's uh, harder to detect. We've seen launches take place from reservoirs. Uh, it is, again, uh, harder to detect, and they're trying to throw off South Korea and U.S., uh, from detecting these missiles. And uh, in the last uh, provocations that we talked about uh, last week, they did say that it was difficult for them to detect these missiles. Uh, but speaking of which, uh, let's talk about what the South Korean and the U.S. intelligence are saying about Sunday's launch. Uh, how concerned are the experts? 
Well, South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff said it detected an unidentified missile launched from a submarine near waters off of North Korea's Shinpo. The South Korean and U.S. intelligence forces are yet to announce the details of the missile type. They're now analyzing the missile's flight distance, altitude, speed, and other specific details. South Korea's weapons experts assessed that attack capabilities of North Korean submarines have been boosted and expanded. A cruise missile is classified as a strategic weapon as it can avoid interceptors on the ground and at sea, changing its trajectory while flying at a low altitude after launch. So some experts argued that the successful launch means North Korea now possesses another underwater strategic weapon, voicing concerns that it could, as you mentioned, SJ, could threaten the SK, uh, the South Korea U.S. missile defense system. If the strategic cruise missile has a range of about 1,500 kilometers, as North Korea claims, it can strike all of South Korea plus U.S. military bases in Japan. Again, depending on what missiles they use, uh, it is a message to either South Korea or the United States. And in this case, we're looking at a cruise missile, which would be directly used against South Korea, but it can go as far as uh, military bases, U.S. military bases in Japan. And we've also been hearing about these uh, trilateral cooperation militarily uh, between the three sides. So it's definitely a message clear cut message from North Korea on this. Of course, against this backdrop of North Korea's missile test, we have, of course, South Korea and United States launching their Freedom Shield 23. Uh, this is going to be scheduled to be held starting today. It has started as of midnight today, and it's going to be held for 11 days. And uh, this is going to be conducted on a scale not seen since 2017. Now, let's get the uh, the details of the joint military exercises here, Mian. Yes, so the South Korean and U.S. militaries launched their biggest joint military exercises in years. As North Korea said, it, it tested submarine-launched cruise missiles in apparent protest of the drills, calling the drills as an invasion rehearsal. The drills include a computer simulation called the Freedom Shield 23 and several combined field training exercises collectively known as the Warrior Shield FTX. Now, the computer simulation is designed to strengthen the Allies' defense and response capabilities amid North Korea's increasing nuclear threats and other changing security environment. Now, they said that the field exercises would also return to the scale of their earlier field training called Foil Eagle that was last held in 2018. A recent U.S. military statement said that the field exercises are to further enhance the two militaries' cooperation through air, land, sea, space, cyber and, spe and special operations and improve upon tactics, techniques and procedures. Now, in regards to this, the North Korea's official Korean Central News Agencies on Sunday reported that Kim Jong-un led a ruling party meeting to discuss and decide on important practical measures to boost the country's war deterrence in the midst of increased actions by South Korea and the United States. The report did not provide specific details on the measures yet. Now, Sunday's actions were the North's first underwater missile launches since it test-fired a weapon 
from a silo under an inland reservoir last October. And it is said that North Korea's command of submarine-launched missile systems would make it harder for adversaries to detect launches in advance, as we discussed earlier, and provide the North with retaliatory attack capabilities. However, um, experts say it would take years and extensive resources and major technological improvements for the heavily sanctioned nation to build a fleet of several submarines that could travel quietly in seas and reliably conduct strikes. Yeah, and so that's the change in like we've been seeing with North Korea in that uh, oftentimes their submarine uh, launch missiles, whether it be ballistic missiles, I mean, it is the first time they've launched uh, cruise missiles here. They were somewhat easily detectable in that they would kind of shoot it off the uh, seaports, right? But now what we're seeing is off of reservoirs. We're seeing it off of lakes uh, to throw them off. Uh, South Korea and the United States have made it clear that these uh, the annual exercise between the two countries is defensive in nature. North Korea is continue going to continue to condemn it, say that it is a war preparation, it's an invasion prepar- uh, preparation. And uh, despite the fact that the name in itself, Freedom Shield, right? Shield defense, uh, it's for defensive reasons. Uh, but we are going to continue to see a number of provocations happen uh, from the north uh, throughout the 11 days of this Freedom Shield exercise. Uh, It is highly likely that there's going to be an intercontinental ballistic missile uh, test. This, of course, a message towards the United States, whether it be the Hwasong-15 or the 17, we'll have to see. We'll also have to take into consideration whether or not they're going to continue to ramp up their solid fuel Uh, capabilities as well. We're going to move on here, uh, talk about uh, domestic politics, the main opposition Democratic Party unilaterally convening a general meeting of the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Committee today. Uh, They, of course, condemned the government's new solution to Japan's wartime forced labor issue that we talked about uh, extensively for the past few weeks here. Uh, The meeting, uh, of course, was boycotted by the ruling People Power Party. Uh, Tan, let's get the uh, the details of this. Sure. So it was unilaterally held as the ruling People Power Party boycotted the meeting, asserting that it's a schedule that was not agreed upon. Uh, PPP members also questioned the DP's intent of holding the general meeting ahead of a summit between President Yoon and Japanese Foreign uh, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida set for later this week. Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Kim Tae-ho of the People Power Party and Lee Jae-jung of the Democratic Party held last-minute negotiations but failed to reach an agreement. So a committee meeting, uh, although delayed, uh, it was held at around 11 a.m. this morning. A committee meeting can be held if there is a request from more than one-fourth of the current members. And if the, the chairperson refuses to hold a meeting, the secretary of a negotiating group, in this case, Yi Jae-jung, can act as the chairperson and take over related authorities. Twelve of the 21 members of the Foreign Affairs Committee are DP members. Uh, top officials at the Foreign Ministry, including Minister Pak Jin, were also not present. Now, during the meeting, members of the DP strongly condemned the new proposal and adopted a resolution calling for its withdrawal and Japan's sincere apology. Yi Jae-jung of the DP said that the new solution to the forced labor issue was unilaterally announced by the government, defying the opposition parties as well as the victims' opinions. And to this, uh, the party saw the need to take action. Uh, other DP 
NDP members echoed his claim, slamming the government's new proposal of creating a third party fund uh, as a humiliating solution. Most of the members made very strong remarks today, with some calling the new method the worst national disgrace and humiliating diplomacy since Korea lost its sovereignty to Japan. Some call the move abandonment of judicial sovereignty, saying that Korea has nullified the country's Supreme Court's ruling. Now, DP floor leader Park Kong-gun called for a parliamentary condemnation on the issue and uh, to hold those responsible, be it the president or the foreign minister, for bulldozing their way through uh, by defying the independence of the judiciary. One of the surviving victims, Yang Geum-dok, also took part, uh, also making blunt remarks towards the Yoon administration. She said she wants to ask President Yoon to step down, saying that she will never accept money collected through the third-party fund, even if she had to die of starvation. Uh, meanwhile, the three surviving victims of Japan's wartime forced labor, including Yang Gumduk, uh, who won damages suit against Japanese firms, have officially refused Seoul's plan to compensate them through donations collected from domestic companies. According to their legal counsel today, the victims delivered certified mail to the Interior Ministry's foundation that will oversee the collecting of the third-party fund, officially refusing to receive the fund as compensation. Yeah, so that's the big question now moving forward because now we know for sure that there are at least officially three of the victims who are going to be rejecting any kind of compensation from the foundation here. We know that there are more than uh, three victims of forced labor. Uh, we had an extensive talk uh, with uh, Professor Yi Yun uh, last week. He was saying that there might be uh, other forced labor victims who might okay the compensation plan but if not everyone is on board with this where do you move forward from here uh is this still a solution is this still something that is going to close the books on any uh past historical uh issues between south korea and japan uh is this going to move on to a whole different kind of uh conversation with the three victims openly saying that they're going to be rejecting it is the government going to pursue other compensation plans or uh at least seek out some kind of proper apology uh from the two japanese firms that should obviously issue the apologies you were talking about mitsubishi heavy industries and nippon steel this is not done just yet but in the meantime, Japan uh, beginning to show some actions on this compensation plan of the victims. Uh, we had Japan's NHK reporting that Japan's business federation, known as the Kendan Run, uh, will hold a meeting with South Korea's business federation, known as the uh, Federation of Korean Industries, uh, on March 17th. That is this Friday. Uh, what do we have on this front, Mian? Yes, so Japan's NH NHK reported today that Korea's FKI and Japan's Kaidoran, the two representative business federations, will have a meeting on the 17th. According to the report, the meeting will be attended by about 20 people, including top executives from FKI and also from Japan's um, top executives, such as the chairman Masakazu Tokura of Kaidoran and from large companies as well. The two business federations are expected to discuss the future youth fund, which will reportedly be set up by Korean and Japanese companies to compensate victims of forced labor during the Japanese occupation. Now, we'll see how Mitsubishi Heavy Industries and Nippon Steel, who are the 
members of the KDRN will participate in the discussion on the funds. Since these two companies are the two Japanese defendants out of the 17 Japanese companies in a lawsuit over wartime labor compensation claims. Yeah, so this is the big thing, right? So I think the Japanese government has come out clearly that they're not going to force any of the Japanese companies to take part in this voluntary compensation foundation plan here. Uh, this, of course, referring to both Nippon Steel and uh, uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. And that, in turn, means that they're not really apologizing for their past wrongdoings. Uh, not only is the compensation from the two uh, companies needed, but also a proper apology here. But nevertheless, in regards to all this, was there any sort of response from the set uh, companies that we just talked about here? Unfortunately, um, those companies did not make any official statements since the Korean government revealed the compensation plan last week. But shortly after the South Korean government announced the ruling of the Supreme Court on June uh, last year, the two companies stated that they had no intention of contributing to the fund as the issue of compensation for victims of forced labor was settled in the 1965 Japan-Korean Claims Agreement. However, they left the door open for participation in the youth fund, saying that they were checking the situation internally and will respond appropriately. A South Korean government official also said at a foreign press conference on the 10th that we expect the defendant companies to participate in the fund, which is being discussed in the business community in both countries. And also, it has been reported that some members of Cadron, other than the defendant companies, may be willing to contribute funds to the South Korean government-affiliated foundations. Uh, in this regard, however, um, Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimisa Hayashi has stated that he will not get involved and say on behalf of the corporates by saying that the government has no particular position on this voluntary donation activities of private citizens or private companies at home and abroad. Yeah, again, I don't, I'm not sure if they know what the victims clearly want on this run here. Uh, it, it's again, the, the big problem, the big controversy with this is that South Korean firms that were not directly involved with forced labor uh, are voluntarily putting money into this. And also that holds true for maybe if, again, I mean, the Japanese government said that the, the Japanese companies uh, are not going to take part in this. But if there is, let's say, a, a set forth that, you know, a Japanese company that say, well, you know, we're going to put into this and they weren't even involved with this, uh, it doesn't help because we have the two companies that we keep mentioning here, Nippon Steel and, and Mitsubishi Heavy Industries. Uh, and if, let's say, miraculously, the two companies decide they're going to uh, take part in this foundation and uh, uh, compensate the victims as well, uh, I think the second step, I think the most important step after this is a proper apology. And I think that's the, that's the difficult part here. But we'll see what happens. At least it does seem like there is some, I guess, hope in the, on the horizon here because it just really did start from just only the South Korean side uh, taking part. Now we're starting to see some movements from the Japanese side. And as we always say, it takes two to tango here. We're going to move on, uh, talk about an issue which probably was one of the bigger news uh, over the weekend. Uh, this over in the United States, we had the U.S. tech lender Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, by market cap, they are the 18th largest U.S. bank, uh, which could say a lot here. 
this also is going to lead to the largest bank failure since the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, can't compare that to the Lehman Brothers still. A uh, bit concerning news here. But this has left many companies in the startup and tech sector worried about whether or not they'll be able to make payroll this week. Don, what's the latest on this? And also, let's kind of go over what the main cause of the bankruptcy of uh, SVB is. Well, first of all, to give a bit of a background information about the bank for our listeners, uh, it has been an important part of Silicon Valley for decades now, providing banking services to companies and individuals who often found it difficult to get access to mainstream accounts. Uh, new companies and founders attached to them are seen as uh, pretty risky from a bank point of view, uh, which made most big banks wary of offering them access to banking. So uh, we can see that their client base was very concentrated. Right. And the circumstances leading up to the collapse uh, are quite complicated, but I'll uh, try to simplify this as much as I can. The level of uh, venture capital funding exploded between 2019 and 2021, meaning startups were getting a ton of cash and subsequently depositing this with SVB. And uh, SVB's deposit Deposits went from roughly $60 billion in 2018 to $100 billion, $190 billion in 2022. And SVB had all of these deposits. And in order to generate a return, they placed uh, reportedly $80 million of the $190 billion into long-term mortgage-backed securities. So the bank bought a lot of long-duration bonds, uh, which are very sensitive to interest rates, yeah. but they were, of course, purchased at a time when interest rates were at all-time lows, uh, near 0%. And so you can see where the story is headed, right? The price of government bonds owned by SVB dropped sharply after the Federal Reserve began its steep rate hikes, and the bank had a bigger interest burden for its deposits. And so as a result, the bank announced large-scale financing, which stirred up fear in the market. And when the SVB Financial Group announced a plan to raise $2.25 billion in fresh capital by selling new shares. It triggered a bank run. U.S. tech companies that were struggling with tight capital due to high interest rates scrambled to withdraw money from the bank. About $42 billion have reportedly been withdrawn last Thursday alone, and SVB's stock price was slashed by over 60%, and within just 48 hours, the bank was closed. It's considered the second biggest bank failure in the U.S. since the collapse of Washington Mutual in 2008. Uh, the U.S. government, however, drew the line to excessive concerns. An expert committee at the White House said that the U.S. financial system has the tool to strengthen recovery of troubled banks. And the SVB collapse is fundamentally different from what the country saw during the financial crisis 10 years ago. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also reassured the public that the U.S. banking system is safe and resilient and that she is working with banking regulators to protect depositors. And she added that regulators are considering a wide range of options, but a bailout isn't one of them ask for now. Yeah, and so that was the big announcement, right? No bailout for SVB. And a lot of people are saying that, well, now this might have some political repercussions because now uh, a lot of people are going to go, well, 
if you're not going to help out uh, with the, the bailout of this, and a lot of people are going to lose out money on this, then what about all the money that you put into Ukraine? And then so now people are going to be against uh, the, the continued support for Ukraine and all the billions of dollars that have been put into the war and say, you're not protecting any one of us who put all these our life savings into this. No bailout. What about some of the other banks that you bailed out? Why not us? And so it's something that we have to continue to see. It, it doesn't seem like a lot, really, because I don't know if any of you guys actually heard of uh, Silicon Valley Bank before uh, this incident. But again, 18th largest bank in the United States. I mean, it, it you know it had a massive uh, you know market cap if you look at it. But still, uh, it was relatively small. Which they're saying that because it's a relatively smaller bank, that it's not gonna it's gonna have limited impact and so forth. But I think in the bigger picture, there is going to be. Uh, other things that are going to lead into this. But continuing on with this, the U.S. government is still extending protection to those uh, depositors at the failed SVB. Uh, the announcement was made just hours before they started the trading in Asia. Mian, uh, tell us more about the details of this announcement. Yes, of course. So it was Sunday evening when the Federal Reserve, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the U.S. Treasury Department jointly made two major announcements. First, the Federal Reserve said in their announcement that all deposits of the two failed banks would be fully covered at no expense to taxpayers. They also announced an emergency program that aims to to give banks nationwide the ability to cover all deposits on demand should there be a need. The new bank term funding program will provide one-year loans to banks that pledge collateral such as mortgage-backed securities and treasury bonds. Uh, Fed officials also declined to provide a specific figure for the size of the new loan program, but made it clear it will be large enough to cover trillions of dollars in potential requests. Now, until the announcement, uh, there was widespread fear, of course, among depositors of Silicon Valley Bank since federal insurance covers accounts up to $250,000 and more than 90% of the bank's deposits were above that cap. So most customers of the bank were tech startups and firms tied to the venture capital world. Now, the decision by Treasury to backstop all deposits at SVB, not just those up to $250,000 that are are insured under federal law rested on the judgment that it was necessarily to avoid a wider systemic meltdown. Now, it is said that the California-based Silicon Valley had $209 billion in assets when it failed Friday, uh, while Signature Bank had more than $110 billion. Now, just to emphasize here yet again that Silicon was the second largest bank to collapse in U.S. history after Washington Mutual in 2008, and Signature was the third largest. Now, Wall Street investors were kind of relieved that the government intervened to see uh, that the down features were up nearly 300 points or 0.9% late Sunday. And S&P 500 and Nasdaq futures were both up 1.3%. Markets has tumbled more than 3% Thursday and Friday as investors actually feared more banks' failures and systemic risk for the tech sector. Yeah, so this is exactly what we're talking about here. At the start, in the beginning, when they were talking about uh, the the U.S. government not pulling out a, a bailout 
planned for SVB, there is going to be a huge repercussion. But instead of a bailout, what they're do what they're doing is trying to get back the depositors' money as much as possible. And so then, you know, that that obviously it's good news for all the people out there. But how long is that going to take? And so forth. And two hundred fifty thousand dollars seems like a lot, but when you're talking about a lot of these startup companies, uh, there is obviously more, much, much more money in that. Uh, and related to this. Uh, South Korea's finance ministry saying the collapse could heighten volatility and uncertainty in the local financial market, but will have limited impact on Korea as major banks are related, unrelated to the bankruptcy. But the National Pension Service holds a significant amount of shares of the SVB financial group. My goodness, we've already talked about NPS and uh, their poor decision making when it comes to uh, stock stocks and stuff uh this is going to raise concerns over further negative impact on the pension system ton what do we need to know here <laughs> sj i can feel your anger and frustration yes. uh so the national pension service says it's now mulling ways to handle its shares in the silicon valley bank financial group it said today that it's keeping a close eye on the bank's collapse and vowed efforts to minimize losses according to the u.s securities and exchange commission the nps declared over 100,760 shares in the svb financial group the holding company of svb as of the end of last December. The value of the holdings, uh, as disclosed on the website of the National Pension Service Investment Management, stood at some 362 billion won, or nearly 280 million U.S. dollars, as of the end of 2021, uh, accounting for 0.77% of the SVB Financial Group's total shares. The NPS is seeking to respond to the SVB bankruptcy and said it does not disclose investment details other than the disclosure, but its holdings, uh, including direct and consignment, are understood to have decreased compared to the end of 2021. Um, the Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group stock plunged to a little over $106 on March 9th from trading at $200 late last month. The NPS uh, was also found to hold shares in Signature Bank with a value of its investment standing at $6.2 billion won as of the end of 2021, or around 0.03% of the bank's total shares. This is terrible. Uh, we've talked about uh, last month uh, MPS uh, losing out on a lot on a uh, lot of money on a uh, poor stock market, and uh, this has got to be devastating for everyone out there. Uh, let's move on here. This time, uh, breaking news covering the headlines is the. Uh, the, the battle between Hybe and Kakao, this over uh, SM Entertainment. A lot of our listeners have been following up on this story. Uh, the mutual decision reached three days after the two competing companies entered talks on Friday to solve the heated issue of who would take over SM's management rights. And Hybe has decided to suspend this acquisition bid with tech firm Kakao. How did this dramatic decision come about, Mia? Yeah, so the fierce battle between Kakao and Hive over the management rights of SM Entertainment ended Sunday with Hive giving up its quest for its acquisition of SM Entertainment. BTS agency Hive says it has called off a takeover bid for SM Entertainment, ending weeks of corporate battle that has dominated headlines in the country. Hive said Sunday it made its decision after observing that the market has been showing signs of overheating 
due to competition with both Kakao and Kakao Entertainment. The tech giant Kakao and its entertainment unit, the Kakao Entertainment, will have the management control over SM Entertainment, while Hype will cooperate with Kakao and the platform business, uh, which Hype said in a press release. Now, with the decision, the candidates recommended by Hype for SM's new executive board will step down at the head of SM's regular meeting of shareholders slated for late this month. Now, in terms of their agreed platform cooperation, the future dynamics of cooperation between Kakao and Hype also is drawing lots of attention as the competition for acquiring SM Entertainment has ended. Now, the two companies for now are expected to cooperate and compete at the same time. The three-way collaboration between Kakao, SM Entertainment and Hype may blur the boundaries of the entertainment business and even shake the Korean entertainment industry. The two companies did not reveal the details of platform cooperation yet, but Hive Kakao Corporation is noteworthy as it can generate the world's largest fandom platform. Many still see that the cooperation between the two companies may create unexpected synergies in expanding their presence in the global market. This is... Um... <laughs> I'm looking at the, uh, the, the stock markets here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, Kakao went up 4.65% on the news of this. Hybe went up 3.21%. You know what happened to SM today? Their stocks dropped 23.48%. Gosh. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, stockholders of SM were hoping that Hype was going to mm. take over and that it was going to get bigger and bigger, right? And so, uh, obviously... <laughs> Stockholders are not happy with this uh, news right now. Uh, but for all of our K-pop fans out there, uh, let's do a quick recap of how it all started. Uh, Don, you're going to walk us through the major events of this takeover battle. Right. SM CEO Lee Suman stepped down as a registered director in 2010, and rumors began to brew from 2021 of a possible merger and acquisition of SM. Although SM did not specifically make public announcements, it has been uh, negotiating behind closed doors with companies such as Kakao, and CJENM. Negotiations were not concluded at the time, uh, reportedly because they did not meet uh, the price conditions. And after stepping down as a registered director of SM, Isuman received about 20 billion won from SM every year for production purposes through his personal agency, like planning. And uh, of course, issues surrounding this were raised among SM shareholders and uh, minority shareholders. The Align Partners Management Company demanded SM Entertainment to make structural changes and fix the problem. The management uh, at SM accepted the request and announced what they called SM 3.0, laying out the company's future vision uh, of expanding, further expanding global growth without Isuman in the picture. And in February this year, SM management joined hands with Kakao, which uh, secured 9% share of SM Entertainment, becoming the second largest shareholder of SM. And shortly after, also in February, Isuman took legal action against this. He filed an injunction against the issuance of new shares and convertible bonds with the court, arguing that the agreement between SM and Kakao was illegal. And 
E uh, afterwards chose Hybe over Cacao. On February 9th, Lee Suman and Hybe Chairman Pang Xiaok announced that they had signed a contract to transfer Lee Suman's 14.8% stake to Hybe. The announcement stirred speculations on and, and hopes uh, on the birth of a mega K-pop agency. And so began the preparations for the vote showdown between uh, Cacao and Hybe at the general shareholders meeting for uh, later this month. Hive made a tender offer for additional shares with a proposed price of 120000 won per share, but the result of the tender offer was a complete, complete failure. Uh, in the meantime, Cacao did not give up. Cacao made a game-changing offer of SM shares at 150000 won per share, and uh, Cacao and Cacao Entertainment was loaded after successfully attracting investment worth over 1.2 trillion won from Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. Uh, and amid fears over uh, overheating market, Hybe announced that it's giving up on its quest for its SM acquisition, but will cooperate with Cacao in the platform business. And of course, we'll close the chapter on that story very quickly. Uh, last night, just after 10 p.m., Massive fire breaking out at Hanguk Tire Plant over in Daejeon. Uh, the fire, by the way, only brought under control uh, earlier this afternoon at around 2.40 p.m. Uh, let's get the latest details of this. Mia, you have more. Yes, yeah, so the main blaze was extinguished after 13 hours, leaving 11 people injured as of Monday afternoon. Of that 11 injured, 10 were workers at the factory and one was a firefighter. Now, the Daejeon Fire Department had issued a level one response at 10 p.m. last night after receiving a report that a fire had broken out in a machine inside the Hanguk Tire Factory in Moksangdong in Taeduk District and raised it to level two at late 10 p.m. and level three at 2 a.m. in the morning. The local fire authorities evacuated uh, residents living in nearby apartments to emergency shelters, and three schools in the vicinity either closed down or ran online classes. The fire has also caused transport disruptions, including the suspension of train services running near the factory and interruption of the vehicle traffic on the expressway. That's right. There you have it, uh, especially because the plant had a lot of uh, very flammable material like rubber and oil, and it was very difficult for them to uh, put it to sound. Nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for coming in today with your report. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.